Hey, what's going on, good people? It's Gardner Douglas, your oyster ninja. Hope everybody's doing pretty good. Um, today, out of the blue, last night, I may or may not have been intoxicated. Uh, I put a post on the InstaWeb, on Instagram, and I wanted to know, did anybody want to talk? Because I was in a talkative mood. And Miss Lauren here responded, she said, pick me, pick me. I want to talk. So here we are. Um, I don't know Miss Lauren out of the blue. She doesn't know me. She's listened to one podcast episode. And uh, here we are. So Lauren, since I don't know you, to give you a proper introduction, could you just tell us a little bit about who you are, what you do, and why'd you say pick me? Yeah, so uh, my name is Lauren Brady. I live in Olympia, Washington, so the capital of Washington State. Um, I moved here about almost six years ago, so been here for a while. Um, I'm actually from St. Louis, which I saw you recently guest shucked uh, at the brewery. So yeah, fun time, Shafley. Hopefully, you had a good time in St. Louis. <laughs> Um, so originally from St. Louis, so obviously not a, a lot of shellfish in that area, but, um, moved here to finish my degree in environmental science with an emphasis on marine biology. Um, I've worked for a restaurant in town, um, for the past about five ish years, um, that I, I manage and I bartend and I, I serve as well. So that kind of ignited my passion for shellfish. Um, I also was a farm intern, so helped grow gooey duck, oysters, clams. That's my initial background. Just getting the news out there and getting people excited about consuming oysters. So it's a little bit about me. That's awesome. And you said like yesterday you did like a beach cleanup, right? Yeah, we did our first beach cleanup in two years. So that was really exciting. Um, and this was our first event back. Uh, we typically organize, um, there's a, an event called Slurp that we do here in Washington, um, where we kind of do like a, a chowder off sort of situation. Just everyone who has like what they think is the best chowder in the area, they come and and make all of their chowders and, and we vote on that and we do a bunch of raw oyster tastings, baked oysters, fried oysters, the whole shebang. So um, that is usually our biggest kind of play in town to get everyone interested and understand some more knowledge about oysters and clams, but um, we haven't been able to do that in the past two years. So this was our first official event back, which we were really excited. We had about 10 farms like local farms that contributed to the beach cleanup so they came and just skimmed the waters and brought in tons of, of debris just to make sure that we're doing our part as um, stewards of the ocean just to make sure that we're contributing to the cleanup and the, the re-education of you know understanding our, our water system so yeah that's, that's exciting. awesome yeah that's pretty cool um, before I go into my first question, um, I want to ask you, what does it actually mean to you uh, to be a steward of the ocean? Education. 
I mean, honestly, just again, coming from kind of a landlocked area and not having a ton of background, um, it was really interesting to move somewhere where shellfish was such a backbone of the community. Um, and to just understand that a lot of people still don't really know what what shellfish does, you know, like what these benefits are for our environment and what they can really do uh, in the areas. So just kind of understanding how they contribute to not only water quality, but air quality to um, at least here in the West Coast, we have a lot of issues with um, our tidal areas. So our intertidal inter zones have a lot of issues with um, staying, what's the word, I guess, um, together. So there's That's a lot fair. of this, this bracket <laughs> water coming in and just like kind of pulling out our, our intertidal zones. So understanding that oysters are this like just integral source of, you know, keeping our silt and our sand kind of in place and keeping our beaches where they need to stay. So just being able to educate people has been really fun and interesting. And, you know, especially working at a seafood restaurant that is owned by a farm, a local shellfish farm. Um, we just, we learn that people love oysters, but they don't know a whole lot about them. So it's really fun to just tell that story and have fun that, to like, blow minds. Yeah. You know, yeah. so uh, what made you want to uh, go to school for environmental science? Is like, does that all run together kind of? Um, I wanted to be a marine biologist since I was like six, I think. Um, Why? Who picks that? No, just joking. Well, you, you don't want to do it once you learn what it actually takes to do it. Um, when you realize it's not just swimming with dolphins and like having fun in the ocean. So that changed pretty quickly once I started learning more about what that, that took. Um, so I graduated from the Evergreen State College here in Olympia, Washington, which is a pretty unique school um, for most people who don't know about it. It's, um, they kind of design their programs based on a trade school perspective. So it's a traditional four-year school, um, but what you do is you take a program, it's one solid program, and you take 16 credit hours worth of that program and you focus on just this, you know, one specific subject and you do a lot of field work. And it's, it's a very, for a, a lot of environmental-based uh, practices, it's a very renowned school. So environmental science was kind of my way of just making sure I had a job once I finished school. So yeah, for sure. It's, it's definitely a need for it. I mean, yeah, I mean, the numbers are small and, uh, you know, for you to want to go down that road, even after you found out the ins and outs, uh, it's very admiral of you. Did you I try? Right. Did you get an admiral? You get it. <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right. That's enough of that. <laughs> so what do you think, um, is the most important thing that you've learned since starting at the restaurant? And it could be about environment, it could be about oysters, it could be about life. I just wanna know. 
Uh, so I actually, I've worked in restaurants for the past 10 years. So I've actually been in restaurants for a long time. Um, kind of circle back to education. It's just, you know, I've always personally prided myself on working at restaurants that are more farm to table style, just so I have an actual kind of background as to where this food is coming from. And it can actually trace where we're getting our, like sourcing our food from. Um, and it's only grown since working at an oyster farm because again, like being from the Midwest, we have oysters, they're not great. <laughs> um, there was Damun Oyster Bar for a long time that was a, a wonderful oyster bar in St. Louis where they got their oysters uh, sent daily uh, via freight, but they closed a couple, it's gotta be like six years ago. So there aren't really any like reputable sources for understanding or learning about shellfish. Um, and so it's just, it's always been really important to know, like, I don't know, where's your chicken com coming from? Where's your beef? Do you, right, right. like, how do you source your food products? Are you over harvesting in an area when it comes to, you know, green foods? Like, are you wild crafting and just decimating a population of food? So mm -hmm. that's been really interesting to just kind of like learn through all of that and Again, Evergreen is kind of this, it's a hippie school. That's what we're known for. We're gotcha. a, lot, a lot of hippies. So. Nothing wrong with being a hippie. Nothing wrong with it. I feel like I would have fit right all. in back then. I promise you. I would have been the As biggest in, hippie. A lot of the students like live in uh, the woods. Okay. Before they go to school, kind of hippies. So Nice. Yeah. Like grassroots hippies. Yeah, yeah. Which is interesting. So it, you, you learn a lot that you just otherwise wouldn't really think about mm -hmm. you live out here and you're just like oh wow you know did we just pick all of the fiddlehead ferns that are growing and is this are we just gonna like kill this whole population like stuff like that where people are trying to just you know make a quick buck and you're mm -hmm. selling to restaurants and then you're like oh well then there's not gonna be any for anyone next year because we mm -hmm. just damage the population so again education is just like the forefront for me in any food service experience you know people love to hear the story they they get so excited when they have this like background to base what they're like why they're there do you have like a, a fact or um anything that you like to share with your uh diners um that just blows their mind like you know all right once i tell them this they're, they're, they're gonna go crazy over this fact it typically has to do with oysters mm -hmm. um so we grow Olympias here, which I'm sure you're aware of. For a long time, we're thought to be the cousins of Kumamoto's. So mm -hmm. we were unsure if there were only four species or if there were five species and, you know, trying to understand that. Um, so something that I learned here that most natives don't know is that Olympia is actually named after the oyster, not the other way around. So people get kind of up in arms I'm like what because it's like tiny little oyster that was thought to be extinct for like yeah. a while yeah um just nobody realized that we we planted this entire community around this oyster so they get really excited about that that's cool uh I was gonna save this question for the last question but 
because we're on this educational piece and because, you know, obviously you know what you're talking about. Uh, where do you see, like, where do you, see, what's your end game? Which is a very mature question, but you're a mature person. I can tell. <laughs> I hope so. Uh, I, I'm not sure if I know if I have an end game yet, just because I've kind of branched off into this new sector of shellfish industry. Um, but it, I feel so redundant right now, but again, it's just education. It's just yeah. really getting people excited and like, you know, coming from food service, I feel like I have this unique perspective in this new facet of my industry mm-hmm. um, where we can kind of put ourselves in a PR perspective and like, just get the word out there and get people excited about what they're consuming and how they're contributing to the environment. You know, especially after going to the Billion Oyster Project this past September um, and just seeing everyone be so excited. We were, of course, not the only West Coast farm, but we were, I think, the only one from, it was us and Hamahama from uh, Washington. But people were just like, oh my God, thank you so much for coming all the way out here and like shucking a thousand oysters. And, you know, they loved, I'm all of my coworkers were tired of my story after I was done with it, but, you know, just having my little tagline and people were like, this is so amazing. And, what just, was the tagline? Like, and I would just like give people these tasting notes. And I'm like, they have this like really fun kind of melon cucumber note to them, but they're a soft brine oyster they grow at the mouth of an estuary. So they have, you know, mixed salinity and people were just like, oh my God. And they just kept coming back and kept coming back. And we didn't bring any lemons, no mignonette, no hot sauce. And people were just like obsessed. And it was so fun to just see people coming back. They're just like, oh my God, we never get these. We never get oysters like these. I'm like, yeah, because East coast oysters are amazing, but they're your European flats are all, they're just all briny. They're yeah, so briny. Sure. Yeah. So, <laughs> so it was like, I think it was fun for people to find something that was just like, oh, this is different. It? Yeah. yeah. Yep. Uh, I think that's the crazy thing. My experience with West Coast oysters is kind of different because um, at the time I was working for um, a, a raw bar and they were bringing in oysters, but honestly, they weren't the freshest. Mm-hmm. and I was like okay people want these all right cool I'll shuck them but I'm like I wouldn't eat these it was like that but I mean of course there was nothing wrong with them it's just as far as the quality that I like I mean even now like I if the oyster's not beautiful I'm not eating it anyway yeah. uh, for one thing but anyway back to the story so I did this um event for Taylor Shellfish they came to D.C. And I believe we shucked at some building downtown in DC. And um, they had Kumamoto's and Shiguku's and Kushi overnight, uh, flown overnight. And I was hesitant to, to eat one before because of like the past experiences, just like any other normal person, like, right? Yeah. Um, but once I ate one, like I ate one of each, eh, and I that's when I fell in love with Kumamoto's. I was like, whoa. Like, Damn. I was like, what? These are not the Kumamoto that I remember. These are not yeah. the Kumamoto that come to the raw bar. And like just those 
a uh, few days out of the water difference or weeks who who knows but um like it, it's just that quality like and I'm sure you guys had the freshest of the fresh you know also that you took to the east coast so I'm sure like people minds were being blown oh yeah I mean we we overnight freighted ours so See? when we were at yeah. Billion, just overnight they got there right before we got to the event and we just yeah. immediately started chucking so yeah, it's, it's interesting, you know, um, I feel like we have so many people who come from out of town because, and it's so interesting because people just, they come in and they're like, I don't want to call myself a snob, but I am definitely a snob. Um, you get people who are like, oh yeah, I'm from Texas. Can I have horseradish and hot sauce and limes and I'm just like of course you can have your oysters however you want them <laughs> but can you and I always I always ask him like can you please just promise me that you'll try one with just a little bit of lemon and that's it yeah and people are normally like damn and then they're like I didn't need any of this and I'm like I'm this is why I say it so yeah it's been fun to kind of like convert people again especially being landlocked I feel like I have that that concept of like understanding that people are really timid around oysters yeah. and they people are scared of things they don't know so they might like oysters but they if they don't know the background or the history or anything like that they get very shy about it and so I'm like hey I didn't have my first oyster until I was 22 and I hated it I'm like that's what happens when you live in Detroit and you buy an oyster from Whole Foods and it's probably been sitting there for three days. Yeah. So, yeah. You know, it just takes trying it and retrying it and understanding like what you're looking for. So it's, it's been really fun, like getting people excited when people are like, Oh, I'm going to have my second dozen. I'm really sorry. And I'm like, don't be sorry. Don't be like, sorry you at all. filter feed like 50 gallons of water per each oyster. Eat more, please. Yes. Play yep. more. <laughs> yeah, don't worry about the backside. Just go on, right. eat another dozen or three. You I'm know, like, this is why we're here. Just keep eating them, please. Yeah. So how was it um, working on the farm and, um, you know, working with gooey duck? Gooey duck is interesting. Um it's also an interesting subject in Washington as a whole. So I don't know how familiar you are, but. Not at all. Why, why is it a very interesting conversation? So gooey duck doesn't traditionally grow past California. And there are some like kind of natural beds of gooey duck, but they primarily grow only in Washington and Oregon. Uh, we've kind of decimated any other populations on the coast. So huge exportation of gooey duck from the West Coast. Um, a lot of American clientele don't love gooey duck because they're not the most exciting thing to look at and people don't really <laughs> understand. I'd say it's pretty exciting to look at. It's very interesting. It depends on who you are, <laughs> I guess. It's pretty interesting. I mean, it's like no other. I'll yeah. put it like this. Like no other is definitely, uh, it's definitely an eye catcher. Yeah. So a lot of people just, they don't understand how to process it properly. Um, again, that kind of concept of like, people don't like to order things that they, they don't, they're not confident about. And that's been an issue at the restaurant is people don't know how to pronounce it um, since it's spelled geoduck. 
So a lot of people are just like, I'm just not going to get that thing because I don't know if that's actually how you say it or not. Right, right. Uh, so gooey duck is actually gooey duck, which is the native tongue for what the species is. Um, so they take about 18 months from their planting to when you can remove a tube. So a lot of tide holders don't really love leasing their lands to gooey duck growers because they have to look at PVC piping on their beaches for at least 18 months. Um, because unlike most other shellfish, gooey duck can't replant themselves. So if they're pulled out of the silt, they just die. So they can't, you know, dig or swim like a scallop would or anything like that. So they're just, they're a very finicky clam. Uh, when you're planting them, you can't have any lotion on your hands, nothing with fragrance. Uh, you got to water the garden is what we call it. When you're stomping in all your tubes and you put your gooey ducks in there, you have to water all of them to make sure they have enough water in their tubing. But they take about three years for commercial range uh, in the U.S. and about five years for um, export. So they're interesting. And they are very hard to harvest. Yeah. You yeah. got to go elbow deep, right? Uh, sometimes more. Oh, wow. Okay. Like I've gone like all the way in the water because they their siphons can extend upwards of six feet. So there, if you don't have that thing by the siphon, it's gone and you're probably never going to get it back. So yeah. they're a very niche product in a very niche market so you're saying you got to sneak up on a gooey duck pretty much because they love <laughs> just like stick their siphons out and it's actually it's really fun when you're like walking on the beach and it's low tide and they're just yeah. like there's like a water show happening right right they're just siphoning off all their water but the second you touch one they're just like nope so do they have a job in like mother nature like do, are they um um filtering water or like are they just oh yeah okay. yeah they, so a lot of the times when you're looking to improve the quality of a beach so like a, any sort of tide land mm -hmm. uh, obviously it's an expensive investment but oftentimes when you're reestablishing a tide um like a tide land your best bet is to plant gooey ducks because again they they don't shift they don't move so they're actually like reestablishing all of that, that hard silt and keeping your, your tide lands in place. So a lot of the times you'll see farms that, you know, you're, you're planting all of these seeds and sometimes they have runoff, you know, it's inevitable, but you'll get these random parts of beaches in Washington um, where you just have tons of beached overgrown oysters, what we call cowboy oysters here. It's like the, the big boys that are like six inches long. Like they're massive huge. oysters. Yeah. Like you only want to grill them with a lot of cheese or a lot mm -hmm. of butter. Nice. Uh, but those kind of, they start to tear away at the, the tidelands mm -hmm. when they just bulk up. So gooey ducks do a, a really good job of like reestablishing that inner tidal zone. So they're they're pretty great for that. And especially if you're looking to reestablish species that are having a hard time. So like Dungeness, um, 
obviously crabs are huge predators of shellfish in general, but they love to snip the siphons of gooey ducks. So again, expensive investment, but if you're looking to kind of reestablish an environment, they're a really good option because they just, same with like razor clams, they kind of have that, that same concept where they, they attract more predation. So if you're yeah. looking to invigorate an environment, they're really great for that. So I can't, I, I just really can't imagine like Dungeness crabs just swimming around, but like are Dungeness similar to like our blue crab on the East coast? Like, are they just out there or, I mean, I'm not sure if you know, I'm just, you know, I was just curious they're, really. They're not as like prevalent as blue crab would be. Um, Cause Washington is very strict about a lot of things. So uh -huh. um, again, like if you're harvesting gooey duck, you have to harvest everything because again mm -hmm. they just will die so yeah. it's actually illegal to like you can be fined or lose your license if you don't harvest everything so a lot of gooey up farmers they're like oh this one's underweight i don't want it and it's like you don't really get that option um same with like abalone in california that's a huge thing um and then here with dungeness you can't harvest female crabs so um the populations aren't decimated but they're not i mean people love dungeness um, they're delicious unfortunately for them so um you can lose your license for harvesting female dungeness crabs they're they are pretty prevalent here but they're not nearly as much as like a blue crab is on the east coast Nice. So tell me a little bit about um, Pacific Shellfish um, Growers so, Association. Yeah. 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 So Pacific Coast Shellfish Growers Association, we have been around for, in some form or fashion, for like 50-ish years. Um, kind of our nonprofit standpoint is to assist your Joe Everyman with your growers. So we're, we're looking to kind of create this balance of, you know, say someone is looking to sell land and they know that it's viable for um, oyster harvest, they'll reach out to us and then we'll just send out an email saying, hey, anybody in this area looking to lease land or um, something like that. And then again, just that, that outreach sort of perspective is the education or re-education. So we do a lot of Vibrio training. Um, we work heavily with NOAA and um, we also work with water quality testing in our area. So we do, um, with the Coast Guard, they do weekly water testing. So we're constantly getting all of this information from them just so we know what, what part of the sound could potentially be an outbreak area uh, for like algal blooms or anything like that. So um, we're just the go-between. So the little middleman, we're very small. We are currently a staff of three. So when I say oh, small, wow. very oh, small. Easy enough. Yeah. So three staff and I guess a bunch of volunteers. Uh, depends on the event. So right, the, right, right. Gotcha. Yeah. Cool. Cool. I think I've hit everything like without rambling. I think we've hit some heavy hitters. Like you're pretty knowledgeable about everything. I'm glad you like 
I'm glad you hit me up and was like, hey, let's do this. Yeah. Um, is there anything that I forgot or left out? I don't think so. I mean, we all love oysters. I guess that's why we're here. So yeah, you know. for sure. Any um any last message or um uh anything you want to leave for the listeners? Yes, actually, if we're going to stay in that vein of education, um, a big thing that happens here, especially at the restaurant, is uh, people love to take shells home with them because they're like, they're so beautiful. Like, I want to, you know, take shells home. And I'm like, all right, my one stipulation is you can take them home as long as you promise me you will not put them in any water system. And people are like, oh, why? And I'm like, because they can really mess up that, you know, marine environment. So that's always my one big thing. And people are always so surprised. I'm like, I don't think you understand the bacteria from transport, from being out at a, an oyster bar, touching your face, your hands, all that stuff. I'm like, you're just, you're going to contribute that to a water system and potentially harm it. So, you know, Oysters are great at doing what they do, but they also are finicky little babies who <laughs> are very sensitive. So yeah. that's, that's like my one big thing. So I just have to make people promise. I'm like, I need a verbal promise before you leave here with oyster shells. Like they're good for compost. You can use them in your yard, but uh-huh. don't put them back in water. I think a lot of people are like, oh, I'm going to put them in like my fish tank. And I'm like, mm, don't do that. You're going to kill mm. your fish. Gotcha. So. Yeah, that's my one big thing. Well, um, Lauren, thank you so much uh, for, you know, joining the podcast ranks, um, letting me interview you. Um, I'm super glad I didn't interview you last night because who knows where the conversation would have went. Yeah, I mean, hopefully one of these days we'll come across each other. I think we actually have an event coming up in D.C. soon, so maybe we can like orient something. I'm sure you'll probably beat me in an oyster shucking contest, but no, no, it'll be close. <laughs> it'll be close. I'm sure it'll be close. It'll be close. Um, no, I'll probably beat you. No, I'm just joking. I, just joking. I'm sure you'll beat me <laughs> <laughs> at least in like quickness alone. Yeah. But it's not all about speed as you know. Um, yeah. Thank you. Um, well, we shall see. Um, just hit me up, I guess, you know, when you get close to DC or maybe a week before a couple of days before, at least we can get a drink or something. Yeah, sounds good. Um, Thanks for having me. It was awesome. 